0: Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at, grace at Eugene.com Here's the podcast. And we are in week 10 of Philippians. Um, I tell you what, I, I think I mention this almost every week, but... Every week that I get to dig into this and preach it to myself to get my heart right, to preach it to my church family, it, it does it does transform my heart and renews my mind. And so I pray that it's doing the same thing for each of you. And I think that today will be no different. And so some weeks I start with a story, you know, to draw you in or attempt to. Uh, today we're just going to get into the Word because there's sometimes that God's word just draws us in enough, right? Like it doesn't need decrypted or something. It's just, it's there. And so I do want to remind you the last few verses of last week uh, because Paul, as he's going into this chunk of Philippians, he references it and I know I had to continue to go back and be like, what did it say again? So I'm not going to expect you to just remember it. So um, we ended last week with these couple verses. It says, for his sake, this is Paul talking about Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith In Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings. So Paul's saying, like I gave all that stuff up because I have a pursuit of Christ's righteousness, not me attaining some sort of level on my own, like some sort of fleshly attributes or some sort of leadership that is just for my own gain. But he's saying I am pursuing and putting aside all selfish ambitions for the sake of attaining and pursuing Christ's righteousness. And then heading into this week, Philippians 3, we're going to start at verse 12. And that's where we pick up. So, 3, 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained this, meaning Christ's righteousness, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or their flesh, and their glory and their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're going to teach us, reveal to us today through it. Father, I pray that your spirit would, would work in me and that whatever comes from this message would fall upon open ears and an open heart. And God, that you would help us each take our next step in pursuing you and your righteousness. So we thank you and we give this time to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. 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 I've, I, a little behind the scenes here. So many times when I'm preaching through epistles, like, I'll be honest, I just want to show up. An epistle is one of Paul's letters. I, sometimes I just want to show up. And, like, read it and be like, all right, mic drop, and just go sit down. Like, some of, some of this stuff, like, you don't need to really get into it and learn the original language and all that to be like, okay... I get it. There's something really impactful here. And, and you worded it in a phenomenal way that like that pierces through all the hardness that the world has developed around me. And it causes you to desire to change. And this is, is one of those where it's like, man, you could just read that a few times. You'd be like, all right, I get it. Let's press onward, right? We have an upward call. Like, we need to pursue truth. We need to pursue maturity. Like, cool, I'm good. Like, that's in there. Um, but today, we're going to take those themes that are so evident as I read through it. And we're going to dig into it a little more. Because it's one thing to be like, that's great, I need to think about that. And to take it to the next level of, that's great, I need to do something about that. He understands, like, we've we've been there, right, where we can hear things, like, that's a great idea. And then we can hear things and like, I should do something about that. And Paul is clear throughout this letter that the world is acting in a way that is different than the calling of righteousness and living a lifestyle that pursues Jesus. And that there is a way to live in pursuit of him and his righteousness. And that's something that's to be applied, not just learned. There's too many things in our lives that we just, like, learn about instead of apply in our lives, instead of letting them impact us, instead of letting them change us and the world that we interact within. And so it's just three simple points today. The title of this sermon is Onward and Upward, and I'm sure there's, you know, there's movies, Disney movies, all kinds of stuff that that I didn't try to reference any of that. I just realized afterwards, like, man, that's going to bring up some associations for people, but we'll just keep it in the message today, so... Um, The first one, being onward. Paul is talking about keep running the race, keep going, do not stop, be heading toward something, onward. Not just sitting back on your heels, but what are you moving on towards? He says, pressing onward. Paul here makes it really clear that he has not already grasped the intimate knowledge of his Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. He has not attained any particular level or knowledge of his Savior. He's really clear that he desires to, and he's pursuing that, and that he should always be moving onward towards Christ's righteousness, but he's really clear, like, don't don't get mistaken. I have not yet achieved it, and neither have you, and neither have you. He did not want his readers To understand him and his message is saying that once you are converted, once your conversion happens, once you give your life in faith to Jesus and you're pursuing a life after him, that this intimate personal relationship just automatically takes you to the end of the sanctification journey and you're just like, I've arrived. Because you can think that sometimes if you don't dig into what he's saying. Because he's saying, imitate me, right? He, he goes into that, he's like, follow the examples you've seen. This is how we live. But he wants to make sure here that people are not receiving it, that, hey, I'm telling you this because I've arrived. He's saying, I'm telling you this because I'm pressing onward. I'm on the journey. I am not the perfect example of anything. However, I am pursuing Jesus with all that I can, even in chains. And I'm inviting you to watch me as I'm doing that, and let that change your life as well. He's saying, I'm doing my best as your pastor to imitate Jesus so that you can have a glimpse of what it looks like to live this life. And even though it is imperfect, he is pursuing perfection or sanctification, whatever words you want to put towards it. His conversion, his views of Jesus and Christians changed drastically. However, he had not reached some place of ultimate perfection, and he's making it really clear of that so that people don't just think, well, I can't live that way, so I'm gonna tap out. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I clearly can't do that, so why even try? Why even start? You're like defeated before you even try. Anybody, is that just, that must just be a me thing? Um, He's wanting to make sure that him casting vision for what it looks like to pursue Jesus does not discourage people from even starting, that it doesn't discourage people from like, hey, you may be here right now. But one step at a time, just pursue him, pursue him. And if you're struggling to know what that looks like, watch me as I do my best to pursue him. Now, a bit of a little side note, but not. Um, we see this word perfect used in scripture a lot. And Paul drops it, and in different translations, it says perfect in referencing like his status and what he's pursuing even more. But it's, un- it's important that we understand when this word is used in Scripture, that there's actually different stages of it that it's alluding to. Because when we think perfect, we think complete, no blemishes. It's just like this is the prototypical like example of something, right? And so that's actually not what this is referring to. There is actually three stages of perfection that as Paul writes when he uses the word that he's referring to. The first one, that is you put your faith in Jesus, we all reach this kind of perfection, and that's positional perfection, which is already possessed by every believer in Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus and you are saved, you are made right before him. You have positional perfection. You are in the perfect position for the rest of your life, your journey, and to fulfill your purposes in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect yet, but you are in the perfect position. Place to pursue Jesus. You have positional perfection. And then there's this idea of relative perfection, which is like spiritual maturity, the journey of sanctification. So, this would be in aspects in our life, such as um, following the will of God, how we love others, holiness, patience, um, doing every good work unto the Lord. This maturity or sanctification is something that is achieved progressively. You don't say, I put my faith in Jesus and like, boom, all of a sudden you come out of the phone booth in a Superman costume and you like got it all dialed, okay? It's not just a light switch. It's not some chip that's implanted into you at the moment of salvation. It is something that is progressively grown and matured in you. In Galatians, it talks about perfecting holiness, that this journey of becoming more and more holy and pursuing that like Jesus is a journey. It is not something that is just magically injected into you at the moment of you saying, I put my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is accomplished through mutual ministry, through community, through engaging in the mission of Jesus. It's not something that you become sanctified so you can be on mission. The mission sanctifies you. You get what I'm saying? It's not something you achieve so you're worthy of going out and talking about Jesus. The very action of living this life the best you can is the thing that matures you. And then finally, there's the third element of it, and that's ultimate perfection. This is perfection in our soul and our spirit and our body and our mind. And Paul denies clearly that he has attained that. And he says, this is something that we will only attain when Jesus comes back, when we see him face to face. You will never be the prototype, prototypical human. Jesus was that. And when he comes back, you will reach that ultimate perfection, but not until then. So for the Christian, like, the goal isn't right now if I am either ultimately perfect or nothing. The goal is that we are facing, pressing onward towards maturity, spiritual maturity, exemplifying God's love, following his will, hearing his voice, being a conduit for his work in the world, pressing onward in that, not sitting on our heels until we obtain everything we think we need and all the right tools for the job, but saying yes to the job, being obedient, being faithful in that, and allowing him to work in you along. The way, pressing onward. One theologian said it this way, to know the incomprehensible greatness of Christ demands a lifetime of arduous inquiry. Of arduous inquiry. Think about that. He's saying to to pursue Jesus for a lifetime... means that you should always be asking, what is next? What do you mean by that? What are you doing here? What does it look like for me to be faithful to you in this? How do I honor you here? Not in some anxious way of, oh, I can never do the wrong thing, but God, let me learn about you as I am an apprentice of the way of Jesus in my life here on earth. How can you learn about being more like Jesus if you're not considering that in all that you do? So not like, well, I took this class in college and they told me that I should do this, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. But God, what do you say about that? How do you say I should live that way? What do you say I should consider when it comes to be election time that your heart is in? I'm not saying that either platform is fully with Jesus, but I'm saying how do we consider the things of God when it comes time for what we stand for, for what we vote for, for what we communicate for change in our world, and then how we interact with the world relationally because of those convictions? It's not just, oh, I want to be nice or liked. It's, what would God say about this? And then I'm going to continuously pursue that in my life in every step of the way. We should always be asking, what does the Lord say about this? What would he have me do in this moment? Not, well, this is a little more comfortable. This will gain me a little more leverage in my workplace or in my family or in my relational circles. But what honors and brings glory to God and what aligns me with his character as I interact with the world. Amen? That is what a life of moving onward looks like. Knowing that you are always trying to move closer and closer to Jesus. You've never arrived. You're headed in the right direction because the goal is not perfection. It's in a direction after Jesus. Heading the right direction. The second one that he mentions is heading upward, up and to the right on the maturity scale, if you will, on the maturity graph. We all know up and to the right is growth in the land of graphs, right? So what he's saying is we should be heading up and to the right when it comes to our maturity in Christ. Now, I think there's something really practical that you'll see in in our environment, in our church family here that follows this model. The world, when they want to bring correction or tell you that you could be better at something, the world will call you out. Have you ever had anybody call you out? Like, I'm calling you out, man. That's, that's not cool. I'm calling you out. And what happens when you call someone out? You call them into isolation. You separate them, right? You're not calling them into anything. You're calling them into something that separates them, withdraws them from community. It does not paint a picture or vision for what can be. And here, like, this whole call to maturity, call upward, we believe that we have the opportunity when we're in relationship with each other to call each other up. We go to the men's weekend, and there's some things that we're like, hey, guys, we need to do better at this. We call each other up. If I see that one of my brothers has said, like, hey, I want to be living this way, I want to be parenting this way, I want to be conducting myself in my workplace this way, and I see that they're struggling with that, I call them up. I don't call them out and say, hey, man, What's your problem? I say, hey, remember, remember this vision that you have for your life. Remember this vision that God's given you and how to conduct yourself at your workplace. You can do this. I believe in you. There is a higher calling and a higher purpose in your life. We help call each other upward because that is the direction of maturity in Christ. We offer a bigger perspective. And when we call up, we're not isolating people from community. We're coming around them as community and rallying with them and being with them in that. I believe in this age, or maybe it's been decades, but this whole idea of cancel culture. If we see something in someone we care about that needs to change, instead of just calling you out and canceling you, what if we led by example in calling people up? Calling them up to the calling of Christ in their lives. Painting a picture that is much higher than the one this world gives them. That has a higher purpose. That they have to cast their gaze upward because that is where Jesus is. They keep their eyes on him and that's what we're headed towards. That it's not about whatever the world is telling me I should do or what I should feel guilty for. But as a community, as people that love each other and are following Jesus, we're like, hey... There's a bigger picture in that than what you're currently doing. Can I be with you? Can I walk with you? Can I encourage you as you pursue that? Headed upwards and to the right on the maturity graph, amen? We as a community, we don't say, oh, we just don't call each other out. No, but there is an alternative. If there's something that we need to talk about, we call up. We help cast eyes upon the high calling of Jesus and his mission and purpose for this world. Maturity will not happen without tension and challenge. Have you ever matured in something because, oh, my life was just super comfortable and I just grew by osmosis because there were mature people around me? Like, no, no. There's plenty of people in the medical field in here. Did you get super mature in your job because nobody ever corrected you or told you that you could do something better and be better at what you were doing? And they're like, hey, there's probably going to be lives at stake when you walk into the hospital, so do better. (laughs) Like You can do better than this. Like That's part of maturing in anything, in anything. As a father, I have to be called up all the time, mostly by my wife because she's really gracious and she's there and she sees like, hey, I know you want to do better than that. You've told me your desire is for this outcome. Everybody's looking at Brie out of the side of their eyes. You've told me your desire is to be this way as a dad. And in that, that was not exemplified. How can I help point that out next time sooner so you can get better? You see, because I have a higher idea of what I want to be as a parent. And she's gracious enough and loving enough to say, hey, babe, do better. How can I help point that out sooner before that happens again? That is part of being in relationship and pursuing something and maturing in things together. Those conversations are a necessity. And the moment we try to avoid tension and hard conversations is the moment we remove ourselves from the context where growth and maturity can happen. And family, this world... That we live in requires us to be pursuing maturity it requires us to be pursuing Jesus with fervor and with passion to deal with what the Lord has for us in these coming days amen upward on the maturity graph and the final one and you may ask yourself pastor Chris are you making up words now no I'm not I actually looked it up to make sure but the final one is truth word Hey, onward, upward, truth. It wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't connect the point somehow, right? <clears throat> truth word, leaning or leading towards truth. Leaning or leading towards truth. Paul's saying, hold true to what you believe. Hold true. Don't waver from that. And he's warning us and the Philippians of this because when things get hard. Rarely is the natural human inclination to lean into truth, even when truth is challenging. Our inclination is to make truth more palatable for us and others. It's to water it down. It's to settle. Right. It's to maybe adapt our language and our beliefs for whatever lower common denominator may be around us. Just to make things a little more palatable, to make it easier. Because standing on truth when things are hard and you're called to be viewing upwards and be growing in maturity, that can be hard and that can cause tension. And some of your relationships may be challenging from time to time. But Paul is saying, hold true. Lean into truth. Lean into it. Continue to head toward truth. Now, what is the truth that he's talking about? Like I don't want us to be ambiguous on that. I'm like, hey, everybody, head truth word. Great. What, what is, what is true? Um, I am not saying your own truth. I am saying quite the opposite of that. The truth is the life, death, and resurrection, and the hope found in Jesus. That's what we lean into. Who is Jesus? What did his life look like? What was the example he gave? What did he do for us? What did he accomplish on the cross, making our status right before Jesus or before God if we would put our faith in Jesus? Like he gave everything so that we could be made right before our Creator. That is the truth that we believe in, and we have hope for eternity because of it. So if it comes down to like, okay, the, the the way, the truth, the life, all of these things that we know to be true about Jesus, staying truthward in all of this means that is the focus, that is what governs my life, and I don't adapt it to whatever cultural norms or challenges may come my way. I don't adapt it. <clears throat> now, clearly if Paul is saying, hold true, don't waver, there's probably something else happening here that's trying to pull people away from the truth, right? I think we could... We could kind of draw that from what he's saying. And oftentimes when we see what the people who are writing these books, specifically Paul here, is saying and who he's speaking to in the context he's speaking to, sometimes we can just at a general level think, oh, that was just what they were dealing with. But what I want to paint a picture for you right now of is that it's the same things we're dealing with and that are trying to pull us away from the truth of Jesus today. We are not so different from the people, the church of Philippi. This is not some unique situation that we can't learn something from. The condition of sin that was present 2,000 years ago is still present today. And so these words and these warnings of Paul, they matter just as much for us today. And what Paul was actually speaking to here was this thought or this ideology of antinomialism antinomialism, which was prevalent at this time uh, that he wrote this, and it still is today. And what this comes from is this idea with the Greek root of anti being against and nomos being the law. So anti-law. So anti, any sort of rules, basically, is what the, the people that he's talking about are teaching against. It's any view. This is just from like a a biblical dictionary, any view which rejects laws or legalism and argues against moral, religious, or social norms, or it's at least considered to do so. And the term has both religious and secular meanings. And furthermore, in some Christian belief systems, an antinomian is one who takes the principle of salvation by faith and divine grace to the point of asserting that the saved are not bound to follow any moral law contained as such in the Ten Commandments, and they believe that faith alone guarantees eternal security in heaven, regardless of one's actions, regardless of obedience, regardless of lordship, regardless of moral code, and living the way that Jesus tells you to live. Now, when you realize, like, this is what Paul's been preaching to, that there's people that believe this, that are trying to pull folks out of following Jesus, some of the things Paul's saying hit a little different, don't they? It's like, no. First of all, rejoice. Second of all, like, obey, follow Jesus, pursue his righteousness. Like, I'm not perfect, but I'm continuing to pursue it. Don't believe this whole, like, you just have extreme Christian liberty. Don't take advantage and abuse the grace of God. Be compelled by the grace of God to act in a way that separates you from what we see in the rest of the world. He's he's crying out to them he even says in tears I'm crying out to you don't look like the rest of the world seek looking like Jesus you won't fully till he comes back but do everything you can out of what you've received to look like and live like Jesus Not just out of some religious spirit, but here's some people that are saying they believe the same thing as you, but they're taking it way too far. And you need to look different. You need to act different. You need to interact different in the world around you so that you and the people that you're leading to Jesus can be pursuing his righteousness, not extreme liberty and grace. Do you see it? Live in a way that pursues Jesus. You see, this way of living is not just anti-law, like the Greek roots would indicate, it actually yields anti-lordship. How can you say, yes, I submit my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but nothing about the way he says to live will I heed in the way that I live my life? How can Jesus be your Lord if you say, I ain't listening to you, I'm going to do my own thing? When you want to accept his grace, but not being a true citizen of his kingdom by adhering to the laws, the rules, the moral code, the way that he tells us to live. There is an inherent tension in that. And without getting into some significant theological debate about all the intricacies of that, just at a point blank level, if I have to choose living my life in a way that shows that Jesus is my Lord and Savior versus living my life in a way that's going to rely on extreme grace and doing my own thing and following my truth, I am going to bet every dollar on living with him being my Lord and Savior and that that would be what would be represented and evident in my life. Lord and Savior, not just Savior. It's got to be both. So Paul is preaching about an ideology that is not just anti-law, but it is anti-lordship, anti-lordship. So, what do we do about this? What does this mean for us? That's a little bit about what Paul's speaking to them about. What does that mean for us? Sorry, it got really loud outside all of a sudden. It was a little bit distracting. Somebody's pressure washing. Um, <clears throat> I spilled this earlier unintentionally. But what this means really simply is we are to live our lives headed in the direction of pursuing Jesus, not trying to obtain perfection in every little step of the way. When confronted with a decision, when confronted with a choice, the question we ask ourselves is not how can I get this perfect, but how can I pursue Jesus as I make this choice? The anxiety and angst that is accompanied with trying to make every decision the perfect one will keep you paralyzed and you will actually never do anything. Because you'll be so concerned that it's the perfect thing every time that you'll just be on your heels, not onward and upward and truthward. We're supposed to be headed somewhere. And Paul is clear and the narrative of the entire Bible is clear that that direction we are to be headed is the way of Jesus. Pursuing him, his character, his heart, the way he calls us and has showed us to interact within the world. That is the direction we are to head. And as we do that faithfully, as we give our hearts and our desires to him, and we walk out that life step by step, day by day, we will become more and more like him. We will be better representations of him along the way. We will be better representatives along the way. Too many times we get so caught up with fear and anxiety that we fail to just take the next step. I don't know about you guys, but like I have this kind of strategic bent to me. And if any of you are familiar with the Strength Finders assessment, like um, I got strategic and I got futuristic as a couple of my top ones. Without t- This isn't a sermon on Strength Finders, but I think you can gather what that means. I like to strategically look into the future. And I, I frequently am like, I know what's 10 steps down the road. But man, all 10 of those steps at once is really overwhelming, isn't it? If you're like, I believe this is where we're headed, and you just think about how to make all that happen at once, it's like, oh my gosh, how, how on earth do I do that? Well, what's the first step? Let's do that one faithfully. Because you're never going to reach step 10 if you're so, so consumed about taking them all in at once that you never even do the first one. It's like doing a remodeling project or some sort of construction project, right? You look at the whole thing. You look at what they've been doing in this building, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you even accomplish all that while having people meet here all throughout the week? And as imperfect as it may be, one step at a time, right? The best you can, one step at a time. And maybe you don't get all the painting done when you thought you would, and it's got to go into the next week. But that's okay because you're still making progress because you're headed in the right direction. Maybe there's things in your life right now that you believe God has called you to take steps in, and it's going slower than you would like it to. And you feel like sometimes the growth is stunted, either by circumstances or your own immaturity. But when you look back, if you're faithful to just take those steps, even if they're little steps, at least you're headed in the right. at least you're headed in the right direction. See? Participation is better than observation. It can be discouraging to be like, man, I didn't even take a whole foot step. I just barely moved forward. Yeah, onward, upward, truthward. You're heading in the right direction. You're pursuing Jesus. And enough of those little steps, you're going to look back in six months and be like, oh my goodness, God is so good. He is so faithful. What he can do with the faith of a mustard seed in my life is I just take incremental steps forward. It's not about getting to step 10 right away. And some of you in here need to hear this because you're so focused on step 10 that step one just seems significant but the reality is the first step is the most significant of the ten because a high percentage of the world we live in never takes the first one they get caught up in analyzation paralyzation and they never do anything because they're so focused on it being the perfect step that they don't take a darn step would we be a community of believers and followers of jesus that would be fine taking those incremental steps because we know it's taking ground in the name of jesus Worship team, you can come up. On the topic of taking ground, Matthew 16, 18 says this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, we've all heard that before. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Or as Casey likes to say, and the gates of heck shall not (laughs) prevail against it. (laughs) had to get that on the recording. It's there forever now, Casey. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Have you ever thought about what that means as far as us taking steps forward, going onward, going upward, relying and heading towards truth at all times? Do you know what that means for advancement and in this language of the battle between good and evil that we are engaged in? All too often we read this and we say, oh that's great, the gates of hell won't prevail. So that means when the devil's attacking the church, those gates won't, won't prevail. But that just doesn't make sense if you know what a gate does. A gate is something that keeps out the opposition, it is a defensive thing, right? You close your gates because you don't want people invading your territory you don't want people coming into your space so when it says the gates of hell shall not prevail that doesn't mean that this big bully enemy won't prevail against the church attacking you taking ground that means as you head onward and upward and you lean on truth and you take ground step after step in the name of Jesus those gates will not keep you out church that's what it means it's an offensive thing we are taking ground in the name of Jesus and the gates of hell won't prevail This is not us having our gates, that hell will not prevail against the gates of the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God will not be kept out by the gates of hell. This is a taking ground thing. And when we do what Paul says here and we pursue Christ's righteousness, we take steps onward and upward and we rely on and lean on truth. Make no mistake that the kingdom of God is advancing in this place where people from outside of Oregon and outside of Eugene say that's where churches go to die, the gospel can't get any traction there, I would say something I won't say from the pulpit. We'll just say, I'll say rubbish. (laughs) That's garbage. And we've seen it happening. We've seen it in your lives. We've seen it in your friends' lives. We've seen it in this city. This is not where the gospel goes to die. This is where extreme darkness gets really brightly lit. Because enough people are praying and pursuing and taking incremental steps towards Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail, family. Will you, all my sermons in this way, you should have saw it coming. Will you commit to heading onward and upward and relying on truth when times get hard? When somebody's questioning what you believe or your methods or tactics, will you lean in to the truth even if it brings some discomfort and tension rather than sanitize the truth to make things comfortable? Will you commit to taking incremental steps towards taking on Christ's righteousness in your life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven so that the territory, the footprint of this kingdom will grow because the gates of hell have no chance against a faithful, loving people of Jesus Christ? Will you commit to living your life that way, imperfectly as it may be? Will you do your best to take step after step, continuously pursuing Jesus in all that you do and with all that you are? As I pray to close this morning, I'm just going to invite you, as I pray for that specific thing, to receive that for you. I'm not going to have you stand up, come kneel on the altar. We've never done that, but maybe someday. I'm not going to ask you to do that today, but I'm going to ask you to honestly assess where you're at, what Jesus is calling you to do in this moment. And will you receive that prayer and then live that prayer out when we leave this place? Amen? So God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the example of Paul. I thank you that you're going to build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so, Father, as we seek to take steps toward Jesus, towards his likeness, towards his example, towards his way, as we focus on our direction and not attaining perfection, God, would you bless it? Would you give us courage to live that way? God, in the times when it's hard and we feel tired and apathetic, would you give us conviction and courage? Father, I pray, ultimately, at the end of this, that it wouldn't be something we just do to try to earn status with you, but that we would live this way because of what you've already done for us. That we would be compelled to this lifestyle because of what we've received, not in some way to fight to receive it in the first place. Father, we pray your will would be done, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven that you'd use each of us, our obedience, our submission to lordship, to accomplish that in this place and in our families and in our lives. We thank you for this truth. We pray you'd give us boldness and courage in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...